0: But what I want to ask you to do is turn to a passage, a passage of scripture that, uh, wow, I go to it a lot. And it just continues to fill me up and bless me. So I want us to read it together Um, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is the heart of the message of the gospel. And I'm not going to read verses 8 through 10. I'm going to read 1 through 10. And uh, I know we've stood quite a bit today. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to set, you can set. But I'm going to read. In the English Standard Version, uh, you follow along whatever you have. I think it's important you have your Bible, open it up, power up your app, look at it, get it in front of you. Where he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so what I want to do is talk about the harvest. Uh, and Jesus said, you know, fields quite under harvest, but workers are few. We were talking about the challenge of that, and last week we had our emphasis. We had a World Mission Offering Sunday. Every time as you worship and as you give and as you just worship God and your tithes and your offerings here, you're going to know that a good percentage of that goes right back out of here to God's work all around the world, in the United States and at every nook and cranny of this planet. Uh, we had a special emphasis, and I haven't even heard what the totals are, but we gave even extra above the percentages that we always give uh, back out to international missions last this last month, and, um, and and we're talking about the unfinished task. And one of the things that we noted on this uh, was a verse. I want to I want to just pop up there right quick. Matthew chapter twenty four, verse fourteen, where Jesus said, and this because we look at the world, we look at how crazy things are uh, in a world we live in. But um, you know, people say, well, the Lord's going to have to come judge this world and all of this. But you know what? God is waiting on. It's not that. It's this. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Remember, all nations. The Greek word is ethnos. That means every people, everywhere, every race, every ethnic group, every dialect. That God brings all of this together in the gospel. And it's to be shared. It's to be proclaimed throughout the whole world. God's heart is still on the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then he says the end will come. So what's he waiting on? He's waiting for us to continue to carry this message, the good news of the kingdom, the gospel, to the ends of the earth. And so the focus today is on that message, the message of the gospel. Now, some of you might feel like, well, this is just way too elementary. I've known about this, and I've believed this, and and I don't know, some kind of spider web just come down on me. Can you see it? I can feel it. Maybe it's the Lord just touching me, right? I don't know, but it feels like a spider web. Okay, sorry about that. You, you know, and and, and it's like, like in the fall, you know, when the spider webs are floating around, people just think you're going crazy. You know, you're just walking along, you know, you're a you're a decent grown human being, and just all of a sudden you start going like this, you know, like you're having a fit or something. It's a spider web. And whew, I don't know. Anyway, sorry about that distraction. But uh this is, this is so important. You might feel like, well, this is really elementary and everything, but there's several reasons why that we need to reaffirm this. We, there's several reasons why we need to give. You need to give your full attention. And I hope we'd have a full house today. And I know we got a lot of things going on this time of year. I know even our seniors, I think, in Hartville are on a senior trip this weekend, and there's a lot of different things happening. But um, this is something everybody, it doesn't matter how long you've been a, a Christian, it doesn't matter if, if you're just like checking this out. This is something you need to focus on. And here's why we're going to give full attention to it. Is, first of all, I hope this teaching doesn't startle anyone. Because I hope, I mean my prayer is that everybody already understands this. And has already put their faith in Christ. But but here's the thing. I am not willing to gamble with anyone's soul. I'm not willing to and just assume that. I'm not going to just assume that. Secondly, uh, you never get tired of strengthening your faith. Foundation. You are never wasting time when you make sure the foundation is strengthened. And this is foundational. It doesn't matter what you try to do from here on if the foundation isn't right. And three, part of the purpose is that, that you're still in the world. If you've embraced the gospel and you're a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus, one of the reasons why you're still here is this verse that's up there. It's to help other people find out what this means and to help them be saved. Their eternal soul depends on it. That's what the Bible teaches. Do you believe that? You look around at people all around the world, your friends, your neighbors. Do you, you understand that? I mean, we're talking about people's souls for eternity. And the enemy is trying to get us all distracted with so many things going on in our world. And there are tons of issues and there's tons of things happening. People are probably more divided today than ever before. And the thing about it is, is is if we're not careful, we're distracted from the gospel. And it's the gospel that brings things together. This is the one thing that we have to do. Uh, And so the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom so what's gospel the word gospel as you know means good news. It's the good news about salvation. And people need to make we need to make sure everybody has an opportunity to understand that and this is foundational to everything else. I mean before we convince people of a lot of things and even moral things that are that you know are way off in our culture they need to understand this. And I don't know about you but I mean, I've been a Christian a long time and I'm constantly every week as I'm reading, I'm, the Holy Spirit is showing me things in my life and in my attitude and in my actions that don't match up to what he's telling me here. And I think if we help people understand the gospel that we're going to talk about and they understand their loss, they understand who Jesus is, they, they put their faith in him, I think it begins to change their life. And as they grow, one by one, we begin to grow through these things. Sometimes we want people to get cleaned up first, Right? Right? And we've seen that, you know, in our recovery ministry. You know, sometimes it takes... Hey, man, I tell you what, you didn't get in that shape overnight. And even though he can save you in a moment, it may be a lifelong process of him making you into Christ likeness. That whole process of sanctification. There may be events, there may be moments, there may be experiences that bump you forward. Which I pray happens even today. Along, you know, a hundred notches, you know what I'm saying. But continually that he's molding and shaping us into the image of Christ. And he never gives up on us. That's the amazing thing. Satan is always attacking this. He's always attacking the gospel, always. And he doesn't care if we get distracted with other things as long as we don't give attention to this. That's, that's the way the enemy would have it. He knows if he gets us messed up on this, everything else is off track. Um, so I wanna be perfectly clear on the gospel so that you all of us know it and we might live in the light of it every day and then that we're also equipped to share it with anyone at any time. The simple truth. And so I said the gospel's under attack. There's a couple of ways I just want to mention that it's under attack. There's many ways. But one way that it's under attack in our day is what I call the self-help guru Jesus, right? Here's what I'm saying is that some people in our day present it like Jesus is just, some, is just merely some better brand of self-help, Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of places and a lot of people that are just presenting Jesus like that. Like, you know, and, and, and a lot of this stuff is true, but it's, it's not the whole truth, okay? It's just like, you need to know about Jesus because he will, mill, he, he will mend and he will heal every aspect of your life. And you know what? He will, but that's the overflow of it, okay? The heart of the gospel is not just that Jesus will help you have a better marriage, although he will. the the heart of the gospel is not just that Jesus will help you find out how to manage your life better he'll help you find out how to get out of debt and not be a slave to debt it's not just how Jesus will help you find relief from your problems and your afflictions or he'll heal your diseases it's not just that he can do and he will do those things Uh, but that's not the heart of the gospel and a lot of times you know it goes deeper than that he's not just Jesus isn't just something you add to your life to just make you a better you. You see what I'm saying? Because there is real no self-help for me. I can only help myself a little bit. When I come to Jesus, I'm confessing, I can't help myself, I need to trust you. So instead of, so a lot of times people today, Jesus is just added to what they're already doing to help me be a better me. It's not about Jesus being Lord of their lives. It's just about Jesus coming along and help me do what I want to do. Uh, That's a problem today, and there's a lot of it out there. Um, But I know people that once they trusted Jesus, they actually had more problems in the flesh and in the world than they did before. In fact, this very week, we may not see it here, but there have been probably countless number of people that have been mistreated, there have been people that have been abused. There have been people that have been tortured. There have been people that have been in prison. There have probably been people that have lost their lives for one simple fact that they love Jesus and have faith in him and proclaim him Lord of their life. Did you know that? And here we, here, here we start talking about you know just having a bad day. It's like, well, I guess I've just got to bear my cross. A lot of people in the world would look at us and say, you know nothing about picking up your cross daily. You know, the big thing about Jesus saying about take up your cross daily, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. What do you do on a cross? I mean, we want to glamorize the cross, but in that day when you saw one, somebody carrying a cross, it meant one thing, right? What was it? Yeah, they're going to die. They're going to die. And I find out that there's a lot of, there's just a whole lot of things that I have to die to myself daily, and just because I did it today and I surrendered to him doesn't mean that I'm good for tomorrow because tomorrow these things crop back up, right? As long as I'm in the flesh, these are things I have to be on. That's why I stay on my toes. That's why if you just coast along and you just pop in and worship once in a while, and if you only just read the Bible once in a while, and you only just pray once in a while, there, there's, no way, there's no way the enemy's not going to try to gain ground in your life. So anyway, this is one thing that happens. A lot of people like, you know, I want good old Jesus just kind of come along and, and just give me a boost, instead of dying to myself and him living through me. so there's a big difference. One of the other things that we get all twisted up about is this whole thing about, did Jesus pay it all, really, or not? What? It's this faith versus works thing. Uh, and a lot of people get caught up in this, especially in our area around here. So some people think, you know, because it's by faith, and since I believe Jesus can save me, and because I know he saved me, it doesn't really matter how I live or what I do, because good old Jesus, he, he already he's punched my ticket, see? He's already just punched my ticket into heaven, so it really doesn't matter. Uh, on the other hand, on the, so you've got that on one side. Then on the other side, you've got people that are just always nervous that, that one wrong move and God's just going to thump them right off the planet, right into the pits of hell. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and even though you know, they, they may believe that they're saved by faith, they think they're kept by their, their own performance. When, when we're going to find out that we are saved and our salvation depends on Jesus' performance and he was perfect and he's already done the work on the cross. Right. So, but, but, but a lot of times we get people just don't have any, I mean, they're just thinking, boy, I hope I can do good enough. I just hope I can be good enough. And they're actually trying to trust in their own deeds and hoping that it all adds up so that somehow they make it. Uh, Bible doesn't teach that Bible doesn't teach that in judgment. God's just going to weigh our good against our bad. And there's so many people believe that there's even so many people who claim to believe in Jesus believe that. That yeah, he's going to weigh our good against our bad. As long as as my good outweighs my bad, maybe you know. I but, but that's not. When you look at God's scale, you find out that that means that means. Listen close. I don't know if that's this or something. I'm red. Here we go. Okay. Red mic. See, red right there. Uh, wow. Okay. I told you the enemy doesn't like this message. Right. Hey? All right. So they think, so a lot of people think as long as, as that, that God will just weigh our good against our bad. Here's what we find out when in scripture, God never says he's going to put your good on one side of the scale and your bad on the other. Since I'm not hands free, I got it. When I look at the scripture, what does God have on his side of the scales? What's he going to judge me against? Is he going to judge my good against my bad? Is he going to judge me against other people? Because people always say that, well, I'm as good as so-and-so. I'm as good as so-and-so over that church. Is God in judgment going to say, hey, so-and-so, get over here. Uh, Yeah, I guess you No, that's not what God's going to do. When we look at the scripture, we find that on the other side of God's scale is God's perfection. Unless you are as perfect as Jesus, unless you are as holy as God, you do not measure up. You fall short. You're lost. You need to be saved, and so that's what the Bible teaches, and a lot of people are crossed up on that. Um, so, uh, our text. I want to. I want to look back through part of it here. Okay, you ready? Um, where he says in in verse eight, "For by grace you have been saved." Now we understand grace, G R A C E, God's riches at Christ's expense. By grace, that is God's undeserved favor, kindness. I mean. He gave us what we could never earn or deserve, grace. Mercy is where he doesn't give us what we do deserve. And that's eternal punishment in hell. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We receive that gift of grace through faith. He says, and this not, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. If it was just partly works... We get to heaven, and some of us would be walking around saying, Well, man, Jesus had to do more for you than he did for me. And we'd be all proud and we'd be all talking trash. And just that, that sounds more like Hartville than heaven. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Let that sink in. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Not your own doing. It's the gift of God. A gift is something that someone else pays for, right? Not a result of your own efforts so that no one may boast. So you won't be able to boast. Guess who gets all the credit? Guess who gets all the glory? Jesus. And then the next verse, he goes on to say this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for for the purpose of good works. We're his masterpiece. We're his work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's been said long ago that it is faith alone which justifies, yet the faith which justifies is not alone. There's fruit that comes out of it. So here's what this is saying. Let's just look at it. God saves us by grace through faith. We receive that grace through faith. Apart from human works, it wasn't our works that earned it or deserved it or achieved it. And it results in a life of good works. Saved by grace through faith, apart from human works, resulting in a life of good works. So this is totally First of all, salvation, a work of God on your behalf. Jesus did the work on the cross for you. Um, Just a few verses earlier, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says um, that we were all what? We were all dead in trespasses and sins. Did you see that? Verse 1, you were dead in trespasses and sins. And we once lived in that. That is, spiritually, we were dead. Uh, He says it again uh, in verse 5. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together. We were all dead in sin. And see, because we were spiritually dead, dead people can't do anything. Right? They can't. Just like it takes an act of God to impart life to a dead person, it takes an act of God to save those who are dead in sin and give them life. So even though you're walking around spiritually or physically and everything, spiritually you were dead. You were separated from God before you came to Christ. This is the same thing Jesus taught to Nicodemus. You know that old Pharisee that was probably all in the Sanhedrin council. He was a leader in Israel. He came to Jesus by night. And when Jesus said, you must be what? Born again. Why? Because you're spiritually dead. You need a new birth. Now, Nicodemus was a great guy. Nicodemus was one of these that, that he began to know that, that there was more to this than what a lot of them were seeing. He began to look deeper. He was very, very devout. He was one of the best. But that doesn't do you any good if you're already dead spiritually. Jesus told him, one of the best, you must be born again. You know, I tell you what I wish, you know, Nicodemus shows up at the burial of Christ and all that. And we don't, you know, the Bible, the only, the only star, the only big hero is, is Jesus. You know, I would like to find out what happened with Nicodemus as he went on. And, you know, was he a disciple? Did he spread the God? I don't We don't have any record. We'll find out one day, won't we? You know, wouldn't it be awesome to bump into him in heaven one of these days and say, hey, come on, tell me about this. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay, well, anyway, let's move on with the message. Because he's pointing out that we have a problem. We have a problem just like you didn't have anything to do with your physical birth. You really don't have anything to do with your spiritual birth either. It is a gift paid for by God himself. But there is a responsibility on your part. God's not gonna force his salvation on you. You do. He, in his sovereignty, in his sovereignty, he sovereignly gave you, made you in his image. And part of that was he gave you a will. Now, we are so lost and so depraved that none of us seek God on our own. He draws us, he convicts us. This is why Jesus said in John 3 36 he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. This is what the Bible tells us. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment of sin, the fact that we're sinners, of righteousness, that we don't have any righteousness on our own, that that we need His righteousness, and of judgment, of the fact that God is holy and He will judge our sins. So before you can be saved, you need to know that you're lost. That's why the gospel is good news. It's good news because we have to deal with the bad news, right? Remember? If it wasn't for bad news, good news wouldn't be good news. It'd just be news, right? That's why it's good news. is because there's bad news first, right? And that's why God gave the law, to expose the fact that we're sinners and we haven't lived up to his standard. So it's good to tell people that God loves them, and that's true. And we need to tell them that, and we need to show them the love of God. I'll tell you what, the lost world out there, what they're looking at, they're looking to see how those who claim to be Christians treat each other. And the other thing they're looking to see is how we treat them. Because they don't know the Bible. They don't even know if they believe it or not, but they know what they see you doing and what they hear you saying. And how they see us treating one another. And how they see us treating others around us. And we claim to follow the Lord who said to even love your enemies. See, they're watching that. They're seeing that. And that might be the first hint of the gospel that they get is seeing that in your life. And wondering how can you, how can you be that way. But the thing is, is we got to first understand that we are lost. And even though uh, uh, we, we want to try to be good, we, we, we can only be so good. Um, and it won't, it won't completely help people to know that God loves them unless they know they need his love. That he is absolutely perfect and they're not. That they are sinners. We're all sinners alienated from him. We're lost. We're spiritually dead. That's why he says, in, Paul uh, says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm, I mean, the best news I could hear is that God loves me. But I need to know that I need that love. Because I'm a sinner. And he's a holy, perfect God. And I realize that I'm just as lost as anyone else. There's none of us more lost than, any, than others. You know, I remember talking, and this happened two or three times, talking to someone that was in a real mess uh, of life. And just talking about, oh, you know, I've done such bad that I don't know that God will forgive me. And, and I just felt compelled to point out... You're no more of a sinner than I am. We've just sinned differently from each other, right? sin is sin. It separates us from God. All, all have sinned and all fall short. None of us measure up. We all miss the mark of the glory, the perfection of God. He goes on to say then in verse 10, it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now he's pulling up old Testament scripture here. He's quoting, it is written. There's none of us that are righteous. All of us need God's help because none of us can do it on our own. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 9, 27, just as it is appointed for man or mankind to die once after that, comes judgment so after we die we we're going to be judged the bible you may have come from a tradition that taught that after you die there's a whole time that you can get things right with god the bible though doesn't teach that there may be people that teach that there may be there may be religious traditions that teach that but the bible itself does not teach that the bible teaches that you die you have an appointment i have an appointment and i'm going to keep that appointment and so are you you're not going to cancel this appointment You need to think about that. I need to think about that. After that, the judgment. We're going to be judged according to those things. We're all dead in our sins. So, and and, then you know what? Understanding that this is what Jesus did. Remember the guy that Jesus came across in Luke chapter 18? We call him the rich young ruler. Try not to say that too fast. Rich young ruler. I always get tongue tied. Um, but he was, he was a, a young guy and he was probably a leader in the synagogue. And he, he was like, you know, uh, listening to Jesus. And he came to Jesus one day and, um, he asked this, says, good teacher. He called Jesus, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Did you see the focus there? What must I, I do? I want something that I can do that I can control. Cause I do it that I can have eternal life. Um, so first of all, you remember Jesus points out to him that he doesn't really know what good is. If you go in that passage in Luke chapter 18, he says, you call me good. And you know, he reminds him that there's none good except God alone. Right? So are you really understanding what we're talking about when we we're talking about good? Because this guy thought he was good and he's talking about Jesus. Are you good? He doesn't understand who Jesus is That he's not just human, but he's also God made flesh. He doesn't understand true goodness. There's none good, but God. Okay, so Jesus sets that right there. And then Jesus rattles off like, he, he rattles off like commandments five through nine, you know, where he goes through there. And he says, um, you know, the commandments don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. You know, he kind of goes through there. So this guy's all confidence because those are all things I can look and I can document in my life. That, you know I, I haven't done that. I can check the box on every one of those. That's what he's thinking there. Uh, and uh, so he thinks he's all good. He says, you know, ever since I was a kid, I've observed every one of those. So Jesus doesn't start with the first four, which you know the first four of the commandments have to do with our relationship with God, uh, about having no other God before you, about idols, about taking his name in vain, all that. The first four. He he doesn't start with those. He starts with number five, which has to do with the way we treat each other and sins against each other. And so he's all confident because he thinks he's observed all these things that Jesus mentioned all of his life. Next thing Jesus does, says, I want you to sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, and you trust me, and you follow me. And it says the man went away frustrated. You know what the point was? Listen to me. The point was, this stuff was more important. What must I do to have eternal life? Jesus tells him something, and he's not willing to do it. You know what Jesus pointed out? The point is, you think you've kept the commandments? You didn't even keep the first one. Should not have other gods before me because all of this stuff was more important to him than eternal life or his God or God. So so in a subtle way, I think Jesus is pointing out that you hadn't even kept number one. And uh, and Jesus also left off the last commandment, I noticed there, which is about coveting, because all the things he mentioned are things that you can really look and say, did I literally do that? Did I literally do that? Coveting is something that happens inside. So no one can really look at you and document it is happening in here. Okay. So he left, and so I think that spoke to him as well. But so all of us are guilty of breaking all of them, though, by the way. You know that? James comes along and says if you keep the whole law and offend in one point, you're as guilty as if you've broken the whole thing. And then Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and he tells us it's not just the act, but it's the thoughts and the intentions that are in your heart. You might have the heart of a murderer, a heart of an adulterer, and all that so in one way or another, we've broken them all, you and I have. We need God's help. So this guy that Jesus came across, see, he wanted to just add eternal life to all of the stuff he already had. I want my stuff and I just want to add eternal life. So sometimes that's the way we are. I want my life and I want to do my thing and I just want to add Jesus to it. I just want to add add eternal life to it. Jesus is saying it doesn't work that way. We've got to understand that Jesus has come to rescue us from God's judgment and God's wrath. Now, I know these aren't popular topics in our culture because we just want to think that, oh, God, he just wouldn't, he wouldn't judge anyone. He wouldn't do anything like, you know, uh, you know that, that, that they just want a God who, 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 who wants to uh, give them a happy life. But Jesus warned about judgment, and Jesus warned about hell often. And this is where we see the love of God. And I'm so glad that was our focus today. And Kendall, thank you for following the Holy Spirit on that. Because this is it. Because God loved us so much, he had to do something about our sin. So people say, well, if God loves us, then he just will overlook our sin. You don't understand that God is perfect and God is holy. And if he overlooked your sin, he would no longer be perfect. He would no longer be holy. Heaven, if he allowed us into his presence with a sin in our life and imperfection, heaven would no longer be perfect. Heaven would no longer be heaven. Something had to be done about our sin. And God loved you so much that he did something about it, even though you weren't able to do anything. He loved you that much. He couldn't imagine eternity without you. And it cost him. We talk about salvation being a gift. And salvation being free to us. But don't forget how much it cost him. Because I want to tell you. I want to tell you it's not cheap. I want to tell you the love of God is powerful. If, it was, if sin in your life and if sin in my life wasn't important. Then I want you to just explain to me this. And that's not even an accurate picture. That God himself would come in the flesh and take all my sin and every wicked, ignorant, stupid thing that me or you have ever done and that the only perfect one, who not only is eternal God, but in the flesh, he lived perfectly and kept the law on our behalf. As Paul says in Romans 8, he kept the righteous requirement of the law on our behalf. But he had to go to the cross and do this. That's how serious God takes your sin. And that's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares. That's the good news. And the love of God is so powerful because of the holiness of God that demands payment for our sin. And the love of God saw that none of us were able to pay it except we'd be separated from him forever. So he said, I'll pay it myself. that's why he says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ, in Christ Jesus. It's one of Paul's favorite phrases, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, a gift is something, you know, I always say that. If somebody gives you a gift and it's like, oh, this is what I always wanted. And then, you know, a few weeks later, you get an invoice and a bill in the mail for it. You got took. (laughs) You didn't get a gift. A gift is something someone else pays for. If you pay for it, it's not a gift. You can't pay God back for your salvation. He paid for it. What you do is receive it. How do you receive it? By faith, by trusting him, relying totally upon him. It is received by faith alone. It is a work of God on our behalf, and it is received by faith alone. Now, this is a responsibility that you have. You do have this responsibility to receive God's provision um, by trusting him. It's not some vague general belief in God. That's not what faith is. It's not just saying, well, I think certain facts are true. It's more than that. I want you to know it involves knowledge, and it involves trust. It's not just a blind leap in the dark like some people think. It's more than this. You must know and you must trust. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There is substance. There is evidence. Okay? So uh, uh, as we go through this, we say, you know, well, some people say, well, it doesn't matter just exactly what you believe as long as you're sincere. Next time you're really sick, it'd make the same logic to say it doesn't really matter what medicine you take, just as long as you think it'll help you if you're really sick. Yes, it matters what you believe. It matters. That's why I'm telling you these essentials are so important. We get so busy you know, with all kinds of things. We forget the heart of the gospel and what this is all about, that we're lost in what God has done to save us because of his holiness and because of his love. This is what he said the world needs to hear about, and then the end will come. You've got to know who God is. People need to know who God is accurately as he's revealed in Scripture that God is holy and just and perfect and loving. You must also know that you have sinned against this holy God and that you stand condemned before him. There's no excuse or anything that will work. You're guilty. You must know that God loved you so much that he sent his eternal son, Jesus into this world, who was born of a virgin that took on himself human flesh. He lived a perfect life, kept the law in every point, was tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. And he went to the cross, so because the wages of sin is death, and God himself is going to pay the price for all of our sin, there's one problem, God can't die. But when God, wonder of wonders, fully God, became fully human, then he could die as our perfect representative, perfect representative of all humanity and a perfect representative of holy God. That Jesus on the cross brought the two together with his death. He could. He was the only one qualified to pay the price for our sin. See, that's what separates Christianity from all the religions of the world. All the religions of the world have teaching. And they have teachers to follow. And steps that you might go through where they claim that you could try to obtain some higher existence. Or some higher whatever. Or heaven or whatever. But this is the only one that says you can't do it. The way you start is taking ownership of that by Repentance. And putting your faith in God who did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And that God Himself is Savior as well as Lord. Isn't it awesome that the very one that's gonna be our judge is the same one who came and died on the cross to save us? God of holiness, a God of mercy. You've gotta know this. You've gotta know that God raised Him bodily. From the dead. In resurrection. And he ascended into heaven. And that you need to know that he will return bodily. To judge in in physical form. He's going to return to judge the living and the dead. To save all of those who have trusted him. These are essential facts. There are some things that you really need to know in order to be saved. You need to know it. You need to know the gospel. And this is why we need to share the gospel, because how are people going to know unless they're told, unless they're shown? Now, we need to be showing the gospel. A lot of times, as I said, first, first thing attracts people to the gospel is something different in our lives that's kind of unexplainable, right? And one of the biggest ways is how you can love someone who hates you and how you can bless someone who has hurt you. It takes supernatural power to do that, and a lot of people, they get that, Okay? That's just one way. But at some point, they need to hear the words. At some point, they need to hear this, what we've been talking about. At some point, they've got to have the word of God. Because we're so depraved, we're so lost, that we don't even seek after God on our own. What happens is, is the Lord draws us, that spark. He draw the gospel call goes out. The scripture, you've got to hear the word. Nobody ever got saved apart from the word of God and hearing the truth and hearing the gospel. At some point, they've got to hear that. Somebody's got to share it with them. Because if all people do is just believe in these facts without putting their faith in it and trusting him, they're no better off than the devil. Just the fact that you believe the right stuff isn't enough because he tells us in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe there's one God you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So it's more than just head knowledge. It's about trusting. It's about relying upon him. It's receiving that gift. Remember the old illustration that I always give about the difference between just belief and faith. About the guy that had the tightrope the, between the two buildings that were under construction. And this is based on a true story. Based, but it's gotten to be legend. But it's a great illustration of faith. Of how that he went across and he walked there and he came back. And people were applauding him and said, how many people of you believe I can do that again? A lot of people believe. And there was a guy saying, I believe you can do it again. And there was a wheelbarrow full of bricks there on the top of that building. He said, how many of you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow full of bricks all the way across and back? And one guy says, yes, go for it. I believe. He says, do you really believe? I really believe. He dumped the bricks and said, then get in. Some of you believe the right stuff. You just need to get in a wheelbarrow. You need to get in. That's where you commit yourself. You trust him totally. One last thought before we close. It's by the grace of God. It's a work of God. It's got to be received by faith, but it results in a life of good works. Because now that we belong to him, the works that come through us are actually him living in us and through us. It's not good works that we're doing to earn our salvation. It's works and, and things that happen because of our salvation. The faith that saves produces good works. We're his workmanship. The root of salvation produces the fruit of good works. The root of salvation produces the fruit of good works. And just as salvation is a result of our trusting God to work in us, good works are a result of our trusting God to work through us. True, we're responsible. We're responsible going we to answer before God to walk in these works which God prepared beforehand for us. But the motivation that we have to walk in these works and to produce this fruit through our lives, it comes from His power, but it comes from our surrender and our obedience, and it comes because of God's gracious salvation. I'm motivated because He loves me. Because He loves me. He didn't just talk about loving me. He came down and proved He loved me. Did you notice back in our text where it says, we were lost, we were dead, but God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love With which he loved us. Right there, even in the Greek, love is used as a noun and as a verb. If you have the noun, it will produce the verb, the action. God proved his love for us forever. He rescued me. He rescued me from being separated from him forever. He rescued me from an awful punishment. I should delight, delight. It should be the thrill of my life to do his will. No matter what, come what may. If a person claims to be saved, but you have no desire to do what he said in Titus 2.12, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, then maybe you need to go back and decide whether you truly have received that gift. I don't know. I can't answer that in your life. But that's the gospel. That's the message of the harvest, the good news of the kingdom of God that is going to be physical and eternal someday. But right now it's eternal and it starts in our hearts. Where he rules as Lord and King of our lives. Father, thank you for your word. I just pray.